This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 199 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm as always your host, Stefan Butzko, and we have to talk a lot about Borussia Dortmund and their not-so-successful two games and preview their Bundesliga match against Cologne. And for that, join me once again, Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. Hi, Stefan. How are you doing? Uh, as always, I'm fine, more I guess. Okay. Probably, <laughs> maybe. All right, while Konstantin figures out how he really feels, Lars... How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. Possibly I'm fine as well. Not sure yet. <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah, someone who is not fine or something, however you want to see it, is uh, Borussia Dortmund, who had a scoreless draw in Freiburg, had Marcel Schmelzer injured. He's out for six weeks after a pretty bad tackle. And then there is uh, Mark Batra, who has a mus muscle injury and is possibly also still out against Cologne. So, yeah. Let's do this chronologically, I guess, and start with Freiburg. Konstantin, why was this a scoreless draw? Why could Dortmund not find a goal against Freiburg, although they were one man more for over 60 minutes? Well, first off, they didn't score until the red card, um, which was... I mean, the, the red card actually worked against Dortmund, um, because then Freiburg set so deep that Dortmund... Had no space they could um, explore to, you know, create any chances. I mean, they created some chances, but um, watching or comparing the Freiburg match um, with the Hertha victory, um, you could clearly see that, of course, I mean, Dortmund has developed a style where they can break down opponents, but they need some space, um, especially between midfield and uh, Wamiyang and Pulisic. Um, wasn't the case against Freiburg. Actually, it was quite the opposite. Um, especially after the red court, uh, I mean, Freiburg had like 10% ball possession or something. Um, so actually they, they played below 50 passes, uh, or completed below 50 passes, uh, throughout the entire match. Um, which shows you that basically Dortmund was just running against the wall. And sometimes parking the bus is the best option against a team still, still kind of evolving. Um, in, in terms of uh, build up play, in terms of, uh, attacking structures. Yeah. So at the end, it was, uh, you know, scoreless draw. I'm also sometimes these matches have like their own, um, like they have a unique way how they go sometimes, especially in, uh, when it, when it starts to get a little bit, uh, yeah, funny actually, um, watching Dortmund trying over and over again to, to get through, to get behind the line and to score a goal. Um, and also, of course, there were a few moments uh, during the match where maybe Dortmund should have gotten that goal and it didn't at the end. So, yeah, it was a scoreless draw. I, personally, I'm not really concerned about a match like that. That happens. It it would be more concerning uh, if they had like an even battle with Freiburg, actually, uh, which wasn't the case. Um, so, yeah, it's not, not the end of the world, actually. Yeah, Dortmund had 
around 82% possession, which is, uh, I think, a, a record for a very long time. I don't, I don't know in how many years, but uh, it's very rare that a team has so much possession. Last, of course, uh, we have to talk about the injury of Marcel Schmelzer, Juri uh, Grave, or whatever his name is or how he is pronounced, got him pretty bad on his ankle. And uh, it's a ligament tear. How bad is it for Dortmund that he's out for six weeks now? I guess we'll see. Uh, it depends on uh, the replacements. I think I would not be overly excited to see Don Axel Zagadou there for a month and a half, but uh, Jeremy Torian having come in from Hoffenheim, even though he considers himself more of a right back, uh, I actually like him better on the left side, and I guess we'll get into that later, but he looked pretty decent against Tottenham in the Champions League, so with him in fold, it's not the end of the world, but obviously Schmelzer is a hugely important figure, not only on the pitch, but also in the locker room as the club captain, uh, an integrative figure, which is more important right now with Dortmund over, uh, undergoing so many changes in the summer, a new coach coming in, it's always important that the leaders of the team are available, especially at the start of the campaign. And now Schmelzer had been out for uh, six weeks or so. Uh, Royce not available until 2018. So the, the two captains, if you like, once again, not available to Peter Bosch. So it's not ideal, but uh, in a sporting sense, even without Schmelzer and Guerrero now with Tolian, they, they have someone there who can play sufficiently well in the position. So I don't think it's a, it's a huge blow in that regard. Yeah. If you add Schürrle and, and Guerrero and whoever, uh, you could really <laughs> say that it's not a good time to be a left footed player at Dom because the likely, likeliness has that you're injured. Um, uh, actually, yeah. Schürrle isn't a left footed player, I think. Is he he not, has, yeah, he has two yeah, left feet though. So. I, I think, I think he, he is, yeah, you are right. I think he's right for it. He likes to cut inside, but he's a left winger. Yeah, never mind. But, um, yeah. <laughs> All we saw from Schurle was that he is very happy to, to, uh, watch the, uh, Tottenham match. There was a selfie posted by him in front of a very tiny screen. So I assume he was somewhere in a hotel or so. Um, I guess there are a couple of things to talk about in the Freiburg game, which overlap with things to talk about in the Tottenham match. However, um, Socrates Paspatatopoulos took five shots, had three blocked. And uh, overall, I feel like there's a theme developing where Dortmund take a lot of shots from outside the box and uh, from further away than they used to under Thomas Tuchel. And uh, I want to get your opinion on that, Lars. Uh, Dortmund's shot selection, do you think uh, after three league matches and one Champions League match, that's a very small sample size we have there? Or is there a trend that uh, Dortmund's shot selection overall is a little bit deteriorating? Well, the sample size is very small, but uh, considering they've scored six goals since the start of the Bundesliga campaign, five in the Bundesliga and yesterday against Tottenham, and four of those were unlikely goals they more often than not will not score the Pulisic poke with the top of his foot the Batra curler the Shahin volley and then the Yamolenko curler those are four goals more often than not you will not score so uh, shot selection is a problem for Dortmund at the moment I think uh, that's the main takeaway from especially the Freiburg game where as Konstantin explained, they ran headfirst into a wall over and over again, just didn't find any solution to crack them down. So as you just said, Socrates had a pop every 10 minutes and Castro had a few. And <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it was pretty... His half-field crosses, may, can, can you really 
like furious i i feel like because most of them were really imprecise and basically summed up how uncreative dortmund were with socrates just uh with castro just trying to ping balls into the box although i think it was a it was a good measure overall but it just had no effect whatsoever maybe that just castro's lack of quality in that regard but i thought dortmund with all the quality on the on the field could have done a little bit more And and it is a small sample size, it, it truly is, but uh, some of this has been a concern of people who followed Bosch in the Dutch League too, and uh, you know we'll get into that later as well, I guess, with the Tottenham game, but some of the things we heard about Bosch potentially being problems in Dortmund have come to fruition early in his reign, so uh, I think we'll have to uh, reevaluate after a few more games. Uh, I mean, he he deserves the time to implement his system fully. Obviously, there are still some lack of familiarity or automatisms um, going forward, especially. So it's not a huge concern at the moment, just because it's so early in the season, but certainly something to keep an eye out because Dortmund were or the one of the best qualities under Tuchel for Dortmund were that they took so many high high. Uh, scoring chances or high probability scoring chances you know all all those Aubameyang goals where people think he's only a poacher well right now he doesn't even get the chance to poach some goals so uh and when and when he does they are wrongfully flagged offside so um you know I, I think most people didn't really think uh this was a concern after the first few matches in the Bundesliga but those last two 180 last two 90 minutes against Freiburg and Tottenham certainly showed that Dortmund remained very much a work in progress yeah and I think uh if there are a couple of talking points in this match of course uh we have to talk about Aubameyang scoring against Freiburg and uh, the referee blowing the whistle before he put the ball into the net um Konstantin A bad refereeing mistake there because uh, Socrates, yeah, got a got a punch to the gut or tried to make it look like that, and uh, the referee could have waited for what unfolds in the box. Or do you think it's it's an okay call that happened? And Dortmund cannot really complain there. I mean, it wasn't the worst call in the world. Um, similar situation happened um, in the Hertha Stuttgart. No, Hertha. Hertha Bremen match. Um, so yes, things like that can happen. Of course, as a Dortmund fan, you can be a little bit furious because I mean, it was one of the few situations, um, in the match where Dortmund had actually scored or had the chance to score. Um, yeah. I mean, from a Dortmund perspective, of course, of course you say it's, it's a, it's a bad call. Uh, but as I, as I said, um, it wasn't like the worst decision ever. So or, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, um, as a fan, you, You, you see these uh, things a little bit more traumatic than as maybe a neutral observer. Well, since I'm a neutral observer, I uh, Absolutely will you are. Yeah. say my opinion on that. And I'm actually glad that it got called back just to punish Socrates for his simulation there because that's what I saw and, and thought what he did because there's, I don't know, for me, there's no reason to, to yeah be so dramatic about the clash with the uh, midfielder or, or defender who it was. Um, so... Yeah, that that's just punishment for for being overly dramatic there, Socrates. I don't I don't really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, as unfortunate as it was, I think it may have been deserved. Um, there was another talking point very late in the game, and it probably would have been the very last uh, shot in the game had the VAR referee given the penalty for Lukas Piszczek being elbowed in the face in the box in stoppage time. I think it was. 
Lars, uh, is this something uh, the uh, video assistant referee should have uh, overturned or at least said there was a penalty in, in your view? Because to me, it was. To me, it was a penalty. Yeah, I, I'd argue it's not a talking point at all. Everybody who saw the situation knows it should have been a penalty. And I'm fairly convinced it would have been if uh, Rave hadn't been sent off two minutes after his challenge after a VAR replay. So I think they lacked the guts to make two decisions against the home side in Freiburg. Obviously, nobody will ever admit to that and, and uh, say or talk about the flawed process of VAR. But I mean, he got elbowed in the face by Pascal Stenzel. He's, you can still see the battle scars. Uh, if you watch the Tottenham game, uh, he has a black eye. It was fairly fairly easy to see in in real uh, time and then with with one replay it's clear that that needs to be a penalty and it doesn't matter uh, if it's in the 95th minute or whatever it was or uh, in the 10th minute it's just uh, as i said if if rave hadn't been sent off after var review there's no doubt in my mind that would have been a penalty But the way the game went, I didn't think Dortmund deserved to win the game. So uh, in that regard, I guess um, they shouldn't be pointing to the penalty too much because they played didn't play well enough to merit three points on uh, their performance alone. So Yeah, sometimes you can play badly and, and still get away with it, but uh, not on the weekend. And uh, for what it's worth, Dortmund still have three clean sheets in the Bundesliga. I don't know how much worth that is, but for now it's uh, worth for them being top of the table because Bayern lost 2-0 away to Hoffenheim. So Dortmund are still ahead in the league, uh, but of course then they will most likely regret uh, not yeah, getting a bigger cushion on Bayern, but I guess it's match day three, who cares? Um, if, we, if we talk about the Freiburg game, and we haven't really mentioned it yet, but before Ravier or Rave was, was sent off. Freiburg actually had two decent chances, I would say. One uh, is where Berkey saved against Kleindienst, who was free on goal. And uh, a few minutes later, there was another pass that was snuffed out, uh, snuffed out by Marcel Schmelzer with a last-ditch interception. Otherwise, Freiburg would have been through twice. And I think had the game ended with 11 men on both sides, we would have seen this more often. At least I feel because neither Wolfsburg nor Berlin really managed to to break through and then string up a potent counterattack. But Freiburg are a team that are capable of doing that, and so are Tottenham. And um, I guess the writing was on the wall if you saw it uh, against Freiburg last. So it didn't really take longer than three minutes for Heumannson and Dortmund fans knowing very well to score the opener in Dortmund's Champions League opener. No, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really detect a question there, but I guess uh, what what you were alluding to was that there were some warning signs in the Freiburg match with Tim Kleindienst. Actually. Yeah, if you want a question is, Lars, did we see this coming or not? Well, yeah, in, in, in some ways, I guess uh, one had to see it coming um, with... Uh, Tim Klein needs missing that big chance after uh, an, an easy, easy enough counterattack against Dortmund. Um, I mean, watching the Premier League a little bit, you realize that Pochettino is a very capable manager and there was no way he wasn't going to take advantage of, I guess, Bosch's stubbornness in a way, because Bosch always plays the same 
style. He's always on the front foot. He's always leaving a lot of spaces behind his last line of defense, even uh, when he's playing with three comparatively slow uh, central players there. And, and it was Toprak, uh, who's slow, Socrates, who's, who's decently quick, but not necessarily fast. And then Shine, who's uh, slower than me, probably, on a good day anyway. Um, so, I mean... Pochettino must have uh, licked his chops when he uh, learned of Dortmund's lineup because he knew there were always going to be spaces behind those three men and obviously the fullbacks as well. And uh, yeah, I think we saw for both first half goals that uh, Tottenham exploited those spaces very capably with talented players. And uh, obviously... Roman Berkley could have done a bit better, at least for the first goal. For the second goal, I'm still undecided, but he has to tighten the angle more in for the first goal and, and Son doesn't have a shooting lane. So that's on him in part, but it was also too easy for Son to to get into that position. Uh, and, and later for the second goal, it was far too easy for Kane to shrug off both Socrates and Shahin. So uh, all around just what what had been so great about the first few games under Bosch was the intensity in most situations and that was really lacking against Tottenham uh, in the Champions League at the worst time. So the the question now is, were the first few opponents just not good enough individually to make Dortmund pay for their mistakes, which they made here and there? Or were, was this just a one-off weak performance from from a Dortmund side that had been reshuffled in, in uh, a few positions too many, perhaps? Yeah, that is a very good question. And... Um I'm, I've been asking myself the same thing just because we have seen a lot of mistakes. Or not a lot of mistakes, but we have seen mistakes by Dortmund uh, which just weren't punished because uh, yeah, there were overhead passes or heavy touches by our position. And uh, Tottenham didn't exactly do that. Um, Constantin, Tony Alivere said after the game that he was basically impressed with the maturity of Tottenham. And how uh yeah their game plan came to fruition and uh, usually Tottenham very much play like Dortmund always on the front foot very aggressive pressing but uh, this this time they basically beat their Wembley worse uh, Wembley Rose or Wembley curse by playing a bit like an away team the question now I have for you is uh were Dortmund a bit naive to approach a game like that in the Champions League knowing that mistakes are very likely to get punished because personally this reminded me a little bit about how Dortmund approached their very first Champions League campaign under Jurgen Klopp in 2011. Well maybe uh, the current Dortmund team is uh, closer to uh, the one that played the first cham- or, uh, the first or second Champions League season back under uh, Jurgen Klopp um, than maybe uh, yeah, the team we saw a few years later. Uh, I mean it's a it's a mix of young fairly unexperienced footballers or at least at that level unexperienced uh few highly talented but still um rough around the edges player so um it wouldn't surprise me on the other hand um it's just, and we have seen that in in the other matches before um and we have seen that uh when Bosch was the coach of uh, Ajax and the coach of our teams um he wants his team to have the ball and uh, through having the ball, um, you know, dominate and uh, determine what happens on the pitch. And so, well, I think that there came two things together. One is uh, that Dortmund wouldn't 
avoid having the ball even when uh, even away at Wembley. Um, and Tottenham adjusted and Ford intended to hit um, Dortmund on a break, and uh, that was, that's what happened. And I think the, the high backline, um, some mistakes in counter pressing, sometimes yeah wrong positioning or not. Uh, as good as it should be positioning, um, that's something that will, that could hurt Dortmund against, uh, as teams, sides like Tottenham with the quality of Tottenham. Not with the quality of, uh, maybe Hertha, but with the quality of Tottenham. Um, it's unfortunate because I think, uh, when you want to reach the next stage in the Champions League, you should, or Dortmund should, um, of course, win all the home matches. I mean, they basically have to, uh, which means they have to win against, uh, Real Madrid and Tottenham. And I thought, you know, drawing at Tot- Tottenham would, um, yeah, put them in a great position, uh, because I think, uh, the second place is a, is a, you know, one on one between Tottenham and Dortmund. Um, and it comes down to, you know, who wins against or will the against, uh, win against the, um, Apoel. And, um, you know, that it's just unfortunate <laughs> to, to, to put it straight. Um, so, well. Maybe um, it is one of these seasons, as you mentioned, like the first one on the club in the Champions League, uh, where you where they will um, drop out, or maybe just go or go forward, or go ahead to, to the Europa League. Uh, maybe that will that's something that could happen. Um, the team is fairly young, and it's um, also maybe a transitional season to some extent. I think uh, the first two matches in the Bundesliga uh, overshadowed uh, some of the problems, some of the issues that are still there um, and overshadowed the fact that it, it could be a transitional season uh, with new players coming in, with um, an important player in Dembele leaving and with Bosch, a new uh, coach coming in and uh, still, you know, getting used to a few things and uh, still, you know, getting to know his team better. Um, yeah. So and still a, a lot of players are developing. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of weight on the on the shoulders of one uh, player like Pulisic, who is uh, pretty young, and you know, he, I don't think he could handle the weight uh, for an entire season. And maybe the uh, same goes for a few other players. And then someone like Tolian comes in and plays left back. He did a fairly good job, but yeah, it's it's not like that's uh, a situation where you can perform at the highest level at all times. Yeah, that is true to some extent. Uh, Mahmoud Dahoud also fairly new and, and Shinji Kagawa picking up uh, his first real competitive minutes, I guess. Uh, at least his first start. Yamolenko didn't really train much with the team beforehand. But there are also experienced players like Nuri Shine, like uh, Ümer Toprak, who have played a lot of Champions League football. Given there is not a lot of automatism in that backline between Socrates and uh, Toprak, but um, yeah, you can also make the case that with Aubameyang and uh, the likes of Piszczek and Kagawa, who also has a lot of experience, you know, there are players in, in that side that uh, have experience and uh, should know how to behave. However, um, Nuri Shine more or less admitted afterwards in the mixed zone that uh, Dortmund were a bit surprised by Tottenham's approach. And uh, the question... Lasses, should they have reacted, or do do you think Dortmund's approach in the Champions League is justifiable going forward because there are just a couple of wrinkles to be ironed out, or do you personally think that Dortmund should have a bit more risk-averse approach? Should they have adapted? Possibly, I don't know exactly. Uh, I I think I think we should also make a point to say that 
especially in the first half, Dortmund were pretty fine, actually, apart from conceding those two uh, relatively unlikely goals. They dominated the game. Tottenham didn't have a single other real scoring chance. So uh, they went behind twice and and still played fairly well. The second half was much much worse, in my opinion. So not not that anybody thinks we are three Debbie Downers. There were some positives in the <laughs> game too. So just wanted to get no, that out, out of the way. But no, definitely. But certainly, uh, I thought going into the game that without Götze, who's in my opinion been the best player of the team so far this season. Without the the usual center back pairing with a new left back who hasn't trained much and didn't play at all with his new teammates, with Yamolenko coming in for his first start after what three training sessions, if that, I felt that it would perhaps be prudent to be a bit less risky going forward, especially as I said, having three relatively slow central players uh, in the, in the. Uh, central axis of defense, if you like, with the two center backs in Shahin, I think it wouldn't have been the worst idea to just sit a, like five to ten yards deeper. Uh, doesn't not not every player has to push up higher, uh, has to push high up the field into enemy territory. So I think that's something that I would have uh, preferred to see. But then again, that's just not Peter Bosch's style. He is relatively rigid in his playing style and, and, and it served him well enough to land a Dortmund job so uh, I guess he knows much better than I do what he's talking about and what he's preaching his players and for for all I know and for what it's uh, for what is most likely they they adapt to the new coaching system and new playing style slowly but surely and you know three four months from now they'll be able to play the way Bosch wants even in in a big spot and against a good team like Tottenham the only thing is that then that might be too late for uh, this Champions League campaign but then again it is definitely a transitional season and in a group with Real Madrid and Tottenham who for once are taking the Champions League seriously it seems it wouldn't be you know a catastrophe to uh, come in third and drop down to the Europa League I guess yeah and uh, that would maybe allow Bosch to have another crack at winning it Meaning the Europa League, of course. And yeah, let's uh, take a look at the first half. Uh, last year, he said that uh, it wasn't all bad because uh, Dortmund, especially after after uh, Tottenham's first goal, looked very comfortable in, in possession. They passed around the ball well from left to right. And I I thought that they were very close to, to scoring an equalizer. And uh, it looked as though they had the, the game and the con had full control of the match and yeah then it happened little one two with Kagawa I don't know how deliberate it was but uh, Yamolenko then without any pressure on him just uh, yeah took a heart and, and scored a beautiful curler into the top far in the top uh, left corner and I think that there was a great goal and really should have yeah got Dortmund going and I, I thought they were they were doing pretty well un until the, the second goal happened um, nevertheless Lars what is what went well for Dortmund in particular in this match what went well um, they uh, I mean certainly in the first half dominating Tottenham even though uh, the the home side didn't really care about having the ball much I, I think if you look at the passing numbers Dortmund had like uh, 670 or so completions in the game and Tottenham had less than 300. So uh, clearly they wanted Dortmund to have the ball, to have 
these opportunities to pounce, uh, to play balls behind the last line of defense, but you still have to execute uh, that dominance with a largely unfamiliar team uh, with two new number eights in Kagawa and Dahoud and all the other changes I mentioned earlier. So uh, being able to pass their way around the pitch against good opposition, even though they didn't press too high up the field in most situations, uh, that was certainly a positive. And just generally, I like the reaction to going behind twice. Uh, I think it, at Wembley, even though it wasn't sold out, so it's uh, it's not the same, but you know, it's still a big spot for many of these players who are relatively unexperienced, who don't have much experience at the top, top level. Uh, that that going behind twice could have been uh, really problematic, but they got right right back up the horse and and played on without uh, faltering or anything. So, uh, you know, as I said before, the first half, apart from this conceding two goals, <laughs> which shouldn't have happened for uh, a few reasons, both on, on both occasions, I think the first half was fine then. The second half was much more of a problem. Um, I know most people are pointing to Aubameyang's goal, which definitely should have stood uh, not necessarily the same situation uh, as against Freiburg. Um, but people fail to mention that Tottenham had two huge chances uh, to score a 3-1 earlier with both Son and Kane being played on by Socrates. Um, yeah, and also shouldn't go mention, sorry, that uh, in the build-up to Yamolenko's goal, Toyan was offside as well. So... There's also a very good argument that Dortmund's goal shouldn't have stood either. But carry on. Yeah, no, I, I was basically finished just pointing out that the second half wasn't uh, Dortmund being denied a goal and then Kane scoring. The game was over. Tottenham were the much better side uh, from the first whistle in the second half and could have scored, as I said, the third goal earlier. And then the Aubameyang situation wouldn't have been as problematic for the refereeing team, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I felt like uh, during halftime, Tottenham used the time to uh, yeah have a little video briefing, I guess, and and show the the spaces that Dortmund leave open on 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 yeah on video. And uh, I felt like players had more of an idea how to capitalize on that. We saw a lot of yeah, I think Vertonghen mostly or Alderweire. I don't know, but uh, Tottenham played a lot more long balls in the second half as well, just trying to uh, catch out Socrates and, and Toprak there. And it worked way too often. I felt like almost every long ball from Tottenham ca caused some problems in, in Dortmund's defense. And uh, Peter Bosch wasn't exactly happy after the match uh, with Dortmund's, he calls it Restverteidigung. I don't know how to properly translate it. I guess the last ditch defending. Um, but the problem is with this game, a lot of last ditch defending is being provoked the way Dortmund play. And uh, I, I don't know, we've uh, had this as a constant theme in the uh, podcast for, I don't know, a couple of seasons now, especially in the last season where Dortmund seemed to be fatigued very early in the match. And I had the sense that it happened again after 60, 70 minutes, Dortmund were absolutely flat and there was very little fight in them. Okay, fair enough. They were 3-1 down. It didn't re really look like they would be coming back. But uh, I don't know. I felt it It was a little too soon and uh, for Dortmund. And they, they were able to create some chances against Tot Tottenham. I think there was a way back in, in this game, but they just didn't have the fight left uh, 
especially after Götze came on after what 66 minutes or so it wasn't really looking like Dortmund could change the game and, and turn it around so um yeah that's another concern I have but uh yeah what is positive I guess is that for example Christian Pulisic and Aubameyang still managed to create a couple of chances in the first half they had uh, two chances where they got in behind Tottenham's back line and uh, squared the ball and yeah both just missed it however Dortmund uh, yeah managed to have those chances where it could have theoretically been tap-ins had the final pass been a little bit more precise in the second half I would say Pulisic dropped a little bit off, had a couple of uh, overhead crosses he most likely will regret now. But uh, yeah, it's it's not all bad. Dortmund had a lot of positive moments as well as they had negative moments. But uh, yeah, I, th I think the defensive issues really have to be addressed. And it's really interesting to see going forward, especially with Lukas Piszczek. I think he had another very horrible night. And uh, we saw it against the Super Cup where... Franck Ribéry already run circles around around him and now with a little bit more skillful opposition. Was another problem there, Konstantin, do you think that Jeremy Toyan uh, will be a more permanent player throughout the season if Piszczek, yeah, keeps his horrid form? That could be, yeah. I'm, I'm actually expecting that uh, Toyan will take over um, after a while, yeah, especially when Schmelzer comes back, um, Guerrero comes back. And maybe Sakadu gets a bit more playing time um, and can, can mature on, um, as a left back. Of course, he's more of a, uh, more center back than a left back. But um, if he can develop as a, a strength at, 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 um, on the second position, that wouldn't wouldn't be the uh, worst thing. Um, and Pitchek is, you know, visibly getting older um, and losing. What made him great, um, namely his athleticism. Um, so, yeah, at the end, I think Toyan could could end up being the first choice right back. It, it, it isn't like uh, Toyan is uh, one of these great world class right backs, uh, but he is uh, one of the better ones in the or one of the best uh, German right or fullbacks, uh, which is at least something. Uh, right now, um, the market for right backs is pretty thin. Yeah, considering that Dortmund didn't really pay a lot of money for him right now. I think that was a very good transfer. Last, uh, lastly, real, real quick, Nuri Schein said also after the game that he was speculating, uh, to be fouled by Harry Kane for Kane's first goal, which was the, the 2 1, where he was pulled down to the ground and, uh, because Schein could have just cleared it, but he was hoping for the referee to just call a foul. Um, A, would you have called a foul and B, would you expect trying to just clear the ball or is it just business as usual to yeah speculate on, on getting a foul there? Watching it live, I thought for sure it was a foul, but then watching the replay, <clears throat> sorry, and uh, seeing the angle the referee must have seen, I think it was a pretty good no call and I have absolutely no time whatsoever for Shine's explanation there. Uh, maybe his candor didn't do him really well in this situation because he should not have said that he could have done so much better and then uh, waited for the referee to blow his whistle. Um, just clear the ball. You know, you're slower than Harry Kane, certainly. Um, and you are also not as strong as he is. So just do the sensible thing and, uh, you know, get ready to defend a throw-in, which uh, will not 
do any real damage. Uh, certainly, I mean, Shahin, in that situation, Kane had already beaten Socrates in an aerial duel, which should indicate to Shahin that here comes a man who is much stronger than I am. But uh, I guess, <laughs> I guess, uh, in that moment, the split second decision. I mean, I don't want to harp on him too much. I guess that's something that can happen. And, and losing a one-on-one -on -one duel 40 yards away from the goal usually isn't the worst thing to happen. But Unless with, you play with, with a very high line. Yeah, with Dortmund's <laughs> high line and, uh, you know, Roman Birki's not great night at Wembley, I guess uh, it was a worse outcome than he could have expected so you know I, i'm sure the next time he's in that same same exact situation he's going to pump the ball into the last row so i guess he can learn from this yeah i guess so i mean to make a couple of last points i i think yeah bookie could have done better but uh it's also very notable with how much power these these uh shots were taken by son and, and kane and uh i feel like It basically summed up that that uh, Tottenham in, in many ways overpowered Dortmund. And uh, yeah, they were well taking shots. We just also have to give credit to Tottenham there. Yes, Bukki could have done better, but it's not like uh, those shots have happen every game. Um, and <laughs> yeah, speaking of being overpowered, uh, Gonzalo Castro, what were you thinking, mate? Uh, that wasn't really a good performance after he came on at all. He was horrible. And uh, yeah... At, at one instance, he was completely outmuscled by, I think, Musa Dembele, and uh, yeah, that that wasn't that wasn't really good. What, uh, yeah, he did there, but overall, I think this game could have went in a whole different direction with a couple of details. So, yeah, not a positive start for Dortmund, but I think overall there can be hope that things improve going forward. And going forward, Dortmund will against the worst team in the league right now, which is FC Cologne. Konstantin, is this a trap game? Uh, could be. Um, it's it's uh, yes and no. I mean, looking at Cologne right now and their recent performances, I don't think so. Um, they just don't pose any threats um, with their attacking department. It's just wing attacks after wing attack after wing attack. Uh, because they don't, and, and then they have only Cordoba uh, inside the box uh, right now, not Modest, who was also important for them uh, in the build-up play because you could always, you know, play a straight pass through the middle and uh, Modest somehow managed to um, hold on to the ball for a few seconds, um, which is not the case right now. So uh, Cologne's um, attacking department is fairly limited. Um I don't know. It's just uh, we are recording this on the first day evening. Um, it looks like the match against Arsenal will be called off or will be postponed. Um, so, Why is that? Uh, because the Cologne, because there are thousands of Cologne fans right now here here in London. I mean, I'm in London as well, and they are standing in front of the stadium. They want to get into the stadium because uh, without any tickets, um, the the space the Cologne fans got allocated to is too small um considering how much support they have normally so yeah um it could be that for security reasons they will call, call off the match i don't know i mean we will be um we will know what what has happened uh after or when the podcast is published uh, episodes published but um yeah it could be uh yeah postponed um we will see there's some madness going on um and the madness that the fans are showing right now is something uh, 
Cologne team is actually lacking because uh, it looks so dull often enough. Um, then there's the situation surrounding uh, Jonas Hector, who has to play as a center midfielder um, more often than not. Uh, I mean, he is a fairly, fairly, fairly good um, left back, but as at the midfielder, he's he's not at his best. Uh, let's put it like let's put it that way. Especially um, in the build-up, Matthias Lehmann is the is the guy who drops between the center backs. Jonas Hofmann is uh, Jonas Hofmann. Uh, Jonas Hector is somewhere uh, in the middle, but usually doesn't get the ball because they f- just straight go to the wings and then try to bump downwards uh, down the wings. Often doesn't work out um, as they want to. So it's I mean as, at least like uh, I don't think Cologne is threatening Dortmund uh, too much. But on the other hand, you 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 know Stöger and you know teams like Cologne. Um, they could easily, you know, change their formation to a back five um, and just sit and wait uh, what happens. And then Dortmund has another challenge at hand, um, similar to what they faced um, at Freiburg. But I don't think, I mean, maybe some lucky goal, some counterattack, but Cologne hurt them offensively. Yeah, we've thought this at the yellow wall a lot of times before, but uh, if you look at the uh, head-to-head, you will see that Borussia Dortmund haven't beaten Cologne in a competitive game since 2012. So that's a very, very long time to uh, yeah, not have beaten Cologne after Dortmund's 12-game winning streak ended in Freiburg last Saturday. Do you think, Lars, that uh, Sunday will be the time that uh, Dortmund's winless streak against Cologne will also come to a halt? What's your overall feeling there with uh, Cologne? being yeah dead last in the table right now <laughs> behind none other than Leverkusen having uh, scored one goal and conceded seven and uh, having I, played in London maybe <laughs> yeah I haven't really seen much of Cologne so far this season uh, I've only read countless of complaints of Cologne fans about the trampoline like first touch of Cordoba uh, in attack and the uh, absolute inefficiency of uh, Bittencourt and the other wingers uh, in the team. So it seems that their attacking department is not exactly firing in our cylinders at the moment. But uh, as we've explained at length in this episode, against Dortmund playing with such a high line, sometimes one long ball and a one uh, sprinting duel is all it takes to be alone in front of Roman Berkey. So I'm not discounting the uh, the opportunity for Cologne to uh, score a goal or two and then uh, they will certainly play similarly to Tottenham and Freiburg for the last hour or so meaning sitting relatively or very deep rather uh, with a number of physical center backs clearing out any crosses uh, towards Aubameyang so this will be another litmus test for Dortmund's ability to crack a deep block defense and uh, get behind the last line of defense. Um, This being a home game and potentially, uh, as we, I guess, now have to say, the first time Cologne come off a Europa League or European match in general for most of those players who aren't uh, accustomed to the quick switch of rhythm from European games to Bundesliga games, I guess. Uh, I, I would still feel fairly confident that Dortmund will come away with the win, but these Cologne games under Peter Stöger have a way of being very frustrating for Dortmund, so I wouldn't be too surprised to see another uh, 
game that isn't really great to watch for the neutrals and Dortmund fans coming away yeah frustrated at the end yeah we will see I guess uh, last quickly uh, who do you see starting in, in this game um, do you think Bosch will hold on to players like Kagawa or Yamolenko or do you think he will make changes and bring on say Maximilian Philipp again I guess some Some of this depends on uh, the fitness status of players. Uh, I mean, Götze has a tooth problem. I don't know if he can play with that, if it's too dangerous. Toprak got his bell rung pretty well from a, a Shahin volley from like two yards smack in his face. So I don't know if he maybe has some concussion leg symptoms. Uh, so some of the changes will, I guess, again, be uh, forced upon them. But I think they are going to go back largely to their... First choice 11 uh, in the other games, meaning uh, if Bartra were to be available, I guess he would start over Toprak. That seems unlikely, but I'm certainly expect Götze to come back in. Now, Castro didn't do anything off the bench, but you could also argue that Dahul and Kagawa didn't do much from the start. So I might as well just go back to what had worked pretty, pretty well in the first few games. Uh, so the, the biggest question for me is, Yamolenko or Philip, and the answer might well be both because I think at the end of the day Bosch would like to introduce a three-man rotation on the wings. Pulisic only turning 19 in the next few days I think. Uh, he, he can't play all the games and, and carry all the burden on his small shoulders so I think the, the smart thing would be to start two of them in one game, bring the, the third one off the bench and then rotate the The wingers a bit, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Amolenko and Philip start with Pulisic coming off the bench. Uh, lest we forget, uh, last season he was actually much better off the bench, I think, than uh, as a starter. Yeah, that is true. Um, last last question: How actually did you see Amolenko against Tottenham in his first start? Uh, he scored a great goal, offered some good runs, but uh, there was no familiarity with any other player on the pitch. Uh, and it didn't help that he had the ghost of Lukas Piszczek playing behind him. There were <laughs> basically no overlapping runs. He didn't offer him uh, a passing outlet and, at, at any point in, in the game, really, with any regularity. So, uh, you know, for his first game after what I said earlier, what, like three training sessions with a new team, Uh, it was perfectly fine, but going forward, I guess we uh, have to hope he can be a mo bit more involved in the overall attacking play because aside from his goal in a few runs here and there off the ball, he didn't really do much in this game, but that's to be expected. Okay, then I have to expect now a prediction from you, Konstantin. Uh, I think 3-0, 2-0, All right. Uh, I, I think Dortmund will actually be very good and bounce back from the loss in this game. And I also predict a 3-0 win. Uh, although that uh, should bite me in the ass, considering Peter Sugar will probably have a pretty good plan on how to prove me wrong. Um, Lars? Yeah, this is the kind of game where flow of the game and momentum will probably decide uh, how it goes. If, if Dortmund Like the last two games, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Dortmund... What they didn't do against uh, Freiburg score somewhat early in the game. I think Cologne might crumble uh, just on the weight of having had such a torrid time to start their season. But uh, if, as I said earlier, they are able to stymie them with their low block, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. So ultimately, I'm going with a scrappy 1-0 victory for Dortmund. All right, that's... Uh 
may keep them on the table. Dortmund uh, right now two goals ahead on goal difference ahead of uh, Hoffenheim. And uh, yeah, Hannover is somewhere on, on third place. But uh, yeah, as long as Dortmund keep winning, they stay in the top three. So I guess that's good for them. Um, and uh, yeah, really interesting week now ahead uh, with Haas V next uh, the midweek fixture. And I th- who do they play afterwards? Gladbach or so? I don't even have it in front of me right now. But uh, yeah, it's an English Woche, and that means we will be back on Monday with a review of the Cologne match and uh, look ahead to Hamburg and the game afterwards, which is Augsburg, actually. No, it's Gladbach, as I said. (laughs) So um, yeah, that'll be that. So before we go out, Lars, where can people find you on the internet? They can follow me on Twitter at Lars Bollmann. Very good. Konstantin? Um, they can still follow me at cc underscore Eckner, E-C-K-N-E-R. Also very good. Thank you guys for joining me. And you can find me on Twitter as well at Stefan Butzko. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at yellowwallpod. And yeah, you find us on Facebook as well. If you want to find our written content, you can do that on yellowwallpod.com where you will also find hints to the other channels and ways to subscribe to the podcast, which is iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and any other podcatcher you have, I guess. So, yeah, if you want to support us financially a little bit, you can do that on patreon.com slash wall. Everyone who is already doing so, thank you very much. You are helping us in a very great way. And, uh, yeah, that should be all for this week until Monday or Tuesday, whenever I edit it. So... Yeah, that was episode 199. Goodbye.